0: day once again these challenging words from Ephesians that basically are the gospel in miniature may they speak to us about what it means to live as Christians in the chaos of the world around us and in the chaos of our hearts pour into these words you've given me and as we share them together may they speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit everybody both here and at home said together. Amen. Encourage you to follow along with U version and to see all the links on Facebook for the bulletin and connections and all of that as well. So Paul says that we who were dead in our sins and unbelief have been made alive in Christ. Amen? That's what Ephesians talks about in the first parts. By grace we have been saved. A good question then is, how does the God who saved me from my sins want me to live? In other words, how do we give thanks? You see, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, answers that question for us. In Ephesians 5, in these six verses we find five essentials to guide us in our life of grateful response to the Lord's love and how to live that out as Christians in the world. He calls Christians to be careful, be wise, use their time, be filled with the Holy Spirit and give thanks. God certainly doesn't leave us in the dark about what we're supposed to do and how God wants us to live our lives as God's children. So he begins in verse 15, he says, Be careful then how you live. You see, Paul urges us to live as children of the light, to find out what pleases the Lord, to realize that it's by a miracle of God's grace, That we are spiritually alive. So he begins with one statement that says it all. Another translation that says it this way. Look carefully then how you walk. Say walk. Look carefully how you walk. See, that's the supreme thing. Not where you walk, but how. How. You walk, you see. Where you walk is a relatively easy problem. But how you are applying this principle in every moment of your life, that's what's important. You know, driving out west from Salt Lake City to Idaho, to Wyoming, to Montana, I drove through canyons and prairies and mountains all along the way. I had no problem where to drive, The highways were clearly marked. I knew where I was going thanks to the navigator up in the balcony here, and as well as GPS. There was very little danger that I would get lost, although I wondered sometimes when we went to this canyon for canyons and we're out in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing, if maybe we might just not make it out of this next canyon. But how to drive? That's a constantly reoccurring problem. How to relate the principles of good driving to the situation that's around you, whether it might be raining or good weather, and the ever-changing situation along the road. You know, what do you do when that large deer, possibly an elk, runs out right in front of your Tahoe? And basically you have two seconds to say, Look, it's a deer. That's it. Slamming my brakes. It was already gone by the time we realized what had even happened. And just come right across the hood. Could have missed us by an inch. And it was big. Did that just happen? Yeah. Was that a deer? I think it was an elk. Big. You see, how? That's the problem. Not the where you walk. Look carefully how you walk. Be careful then, emphasizes Paul, how you live. And then he goes on, not as unwise people, but as wise people. Say wise. You're so wise. That was very good, J. Was, that was very wise. <laughs> Paul intends us to be aware that our faith is not separate from our life. Be careful and let your life bear witness to your faith. You see, being wise means that we can discern between what is good and what is right and what is not. It means, too, that we recognize the constant danger we face as Christians in a hostile environment. If there's ever been a hostile environment, it is now. Therefore, we step carefully... We guard and protect the precious gift of salvation that we have been given. And through God's Word and empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit, we embrace the wisdom of God. Amen? This is the only place that we can look to know what it means to be wise. And then Paul continues in verse 16, making the most of the time. The Greek word here means to redeem something by a payment of a price. Or maybe something we're more familiar with, like on Amazon, buying something quickly on that lightning deal before it's not available any longer. Getting it quick. Making the most of the time that we have. I'm the king of striking while the iron is what? Hot. What does it even mean? I came out of the iron is hot. We couldn't plug them in back then. You had to get it while it was still heated up. Or you wouldn't be able to iron your clothes. It's when used for redeeming time, though, it means making the most of one's time, it means seizing the moment. Seizing the moment. Take advantage of one's opportunities. Paul is telling the Christians to make the most of their time. Why? Because these days are evil. We can respond by saying, of course. doesn't take a top-notch detective to be able to figure that out. Just read the newspaper or Facebook. Watch the nightly news. It's a fact. The days are evil. More evil, perhaps, than they've ever been. Or perhaps just less civil than they've ever been. There's no time to waste, he argues, the days are evil because we're on the brink of a new age. You see, Paul isn't interested in fixing what is wrong in this world, preparing us to live in the next one. He doesn't challenge the social order, but asks how we make it as much like the kingdom of heaven as possible here on earth. Now wait a minute. Back up a moment. Think about that idea. Not fixing what is wrong with the world, preparing for living in the next one. Is that the reality of what's really going on here in this text that he's talking about? Is that how we've come to understand the faith in our own lives? That's all about getting us into heaven, not about making a difference in the world in which we live? If that's true, then the United Methodist Church is in big trouble. After all, it says we are in the business of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the what? Transformation of the world. That's our slogan. Transformation of the world. We are looking to make a difference in the world, right? Well... Maybe not. Notice that our slogan doesn't say to make the world better. Or make a difference in the world. Yeah, that's how we sometimes hear that mission. Leave the world a little better than where it was when you found it. Well, That's a nice idea, but it's not really the gospel. We are in the business of transforming the world. Transforming the world. You see, Ephesians 5 isn't interested in fixing the world. but bringing in the next one. And I don't mean out there somewhere. We're talking about transforming this world into the kingdom reality. You see, knowing of course that we can't do it alone, that we have to partner with the Holy Spirit as God brings this new reality. Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God is here on earth. The kingdom of heaven is here now. Not later. It's by the same thing. But there's something more at work here, too. It's about time. No, really. It, it's about time. If Paul were advising us to manage our time more effectively, he would use the word chronos. Say chronos. Kronos. Kronos. Kronos is chronological time. The kind of time that we see on a face clock. The face of a clock, right? The kind of time that we use to keep appointments. To measure progress. But Paul uses a different word here than chronos. He uses kairos. Say kairos. You know I love these two words. Kairos is significant time. Significant time. The decisive moment when you do something. The fork in the road that makes all the difference. Maybe the path less traveled from frost. You see, a Kairos moment divides the past from the future. Literally a fork in the road. This is literally a fork in the road in Franklin, Kentucky, just up the road. You can see it. Built by the local machine shop kids in high school. There's a fork in the road. It's what Kairos is. Paul's use of Kairos in this verse a new kind of life. It's a clue that he's thinking about dividing in godly time the present age where evil rules with the age to come where God's kingdom and rule is fully established. So Paul was encouraging those Christians and us who, brethren, Jesus Christ, to make the most of our time given and use our time well so we might make the most of our opportunities for the right times to usher in the kingdom of heaven on earth and witness for Christ until He comes again. Kairos. Say Kairos. Kairos is such a more important word than Kronos will ever be in your life. what are these opportunities? First of all, since the days are evil and we're in danger of being sucked into by the evil vacuum, Paul wants us to seize every opportunity to be strengthened and built upon by the means of grace. And to be strengthened by God's Word and the sacraments. I mean, honestly, if we had to ask ourselves, how many times... Do we look to Scripture and prayer and devotion before we make decisions or before we have conversations with each other? Or is it more going back to the default of whatever we think or believe or want to say? And those things are daily devotional we do over there somewhere and then we leave them behind for the rest of our time. Then he says he's leading us to overcome evil with good. What does good look like, even anymore? How do we even know what is the good and the right and the true thing to do in today's world? One of my fellow pastors, Travis Garner, posted this on his Facebook page. And it's much longer, and I'm going to share a link to it, to the Facebook group and other places. But My wife Amanda has been saying for months, and I think she's right, that we as a society are experiencing one big group trauma together. Just list out all of the major things that have happened over the last 18 months. Put them all in the context of the kind of global pandemic that no one has ever faced before. Mix in any person personal tragedy you have been experiencing and you get one big, one ongoing group trauma. She says it's going to be a long time for us to deal with what we've been going through. And I agree with her. But Here's what I've been thinking about this week. Not only are we experiencing one big group trauma together, but we are entered into one big group trauma cycle. And we seem to be stuck in it in a major way. Not only are we experiencing group trauma together, but in the ways that we're responding to it, we're inflicting it on each other. And in the midst of this, we've created a dangerous and destructive cycle. It's a hard time to be a human. We are not at our best. And out of a place of not being our best, we're both unintentionally and at times intentionally inflicting our worst on other people through our words and our actions, and our attitudes. And the cycle continues. We need to create a different cycle. And what does He offer to lead us in a different cycle? Well, guess what? The book of Ephesians, chapter 4. What we looked at last week. And I hope that sometime we will live into and as Paul encourages us in verse 17, do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. That's where true wisdom is to be found. That's where a person can learn to be wise. But will, what is the will of the Lord for us and for our world? So the days are evil, Paul writes. So be careful. Careful how? Mean we watch ourselves we keep ourselves separate and unstained from the world Well yes and no there is certainly a call to a higher living throughout this text and also throughout all the Ephesians remember live a life worthy of your what call live a life worthy of your call from the very beginning and that's how the first part of this passage goes in one direction that's the one part but these verses also say more than just watch out for yourself they can also be read to say live full of care and difficult times See, there are many who are struggling. There are many who succumb to the demons of this age, the addictions, the hatred, the oppression, the fear, the lies, the lack of civility. So Paul says, live full of care. Say care. Call and care. Pay attention to the world around you, to the need around you, to the despair around you, and live fully invested in this kingdom we proclaim. Not in the fear of the world that is less than that. See, we aren't called to withdraw from the world in need of the gospel of grace and good news. Instead, we are called to make the most of the time, the kairos. Say kairos. Kairos. Not simply for ourselves, but the kairos that needs to happen for the world around us. For the world that needs the community of faith to live out loud in transforming ways, the kingdom ways. But how? How do we maintain this kind of engagement in the world when it seems hopeless? When it seems endless? When it seems worthless? When it seems we can't do anything to make a difference or even a dent? Well, these brief couple of verses give us two directions for resourcing our inner strength. And so as much as you want to, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't escape what's happening. It won't do us any good. But there are many, many, many times that I wish there was something there to be able to help, to numb, and to take away the pain and the brokenness that's happening during this time. But there is. There is. Don't be filled with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, he says. Remember Acts 2? When the Spirit came upon them, they all thought they were what? Drunk. Why are you guys drinking in the morning? You can drink later on and get drunk, but that's kind of weird to get drunk during the day. There was a Spirit. And the Lord continues to to fill us with His Spirit. And as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then He gives us joy in the midst of sorrow and suffering, you see. He heals wounds. He gives us peace. He brings us comfort. And the tool the Holy Spirit uses to do all this wonderful work inside of us is the Word and the promises of the Lord that are found in that Word. And Jesus in turn calls His church to come together to be His church And to gather together and to live lives that are bound by that Holy Spirit, not by our own wants and our own desires and our own stuff. A Christian then should be a person of joy. And I forgot to bring what I needed to bring to worship today that's sitting in my office right now, and that is what? A bottle of joy. Not that there aren't moments of sorrow, times of struggle and pain. That's not what joy is anyways. Joy is not happiness. But that the default mode of the follower of Christ is an attitude of joy in the Holy Spirit that grows out of the second source of strength, which is gratitude. Say gratitude. It's a source of strength. Gratitude. And out of that gratitude, we join together, praising the Lord and doing things like sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. And then through His Holy Spirit, we're able to always give thanks to God, the Father of all times, at all times, and for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? The gratitude allows us to do that. Without it, it's really hard. This isn't just good advice for getting along with people, serving God. Gratitude is the condition of the heart and a driver for all sorts of action and ministry and service. Gratitude is the foundation of discipleship. It's the foundation of discipleship. Because it requires an awareness of our need for grace. An appreciation for the source of that blessing. Until you can appreciate that and know that you need grace and where it comes from and the cost of it, you can't truly be grateful. See, every fourth week of November, we tell ourselves that Thanksgiving should not be just a once a thing year. A once a year thing but a way of living every day. Ephesians 5, at the end, is the call to believe that and to live that out. You see, it sums it up with at all times. Paul is calling us not to a day of thanksgiving, but to a life of thanksgiving. Amen? That every day needs to be thanksgiving. Giving thanks. Not just on Thanksgiving Day or even for a whole week. He is calling us for a non-stop Thanksgiving. Not only at times of success or happy events in our lives, but for everything. This is the at all times part of the text. At all times. It isn't just about being thankful for food and plentiful harvest and all of those pieces. It's about finding blessings in everyday living. And some of us are better at that than others. And even when that living doesn't feel like it's being blessed. And there are plenty of times when our living doesn't feel so blessed, And that's why this text points to the gratitude toward God. There's a gratitude toward God that goes above and beyond what our circumstances are in life. But it's also supposed to be in relationship with each other, within the human community as well. Because of our overwhelming gratitude toward God, we can also begin to appreciate one another. To appreciate one another. Not look for their faults and their failures, for their hurts and their habits and their hang ups first. And indeed, all of creation to appreciate as part of that gift, a reminder of that presence. When we went out west, I'm reminded every single minute of the glory and the presence of God, in ways that I just don't see sometimes when I'm here. How could you not? Standing in that place, just feels imbued with God's spirit and God's presence. But God's Spirit and presence are everywhere. Not just at the beach or on the mountains or your beautiful spot, wherever it might be. You see, giving thanks is underneath everything that we do, it's the foundation of the journey of faith as Christians. It drives stewardship in the mission. All of this happens because of thankfulness. It brings us faithfully to worship week after week, to say thanks, to give God the time of day. To have our hearts opened at least for a little while. It drives us to our knees in devotion and prayer sometimes, thanking God for all we've been given and it opens the living word of God as we explore the scriptures because if you look at the scriptures with a heart of gratefulness and thankfulness you're not looking so much to find the next scripture you can use against somebody you're using the scripture to honor God and gratitude's the best motivator for evangelism Nobody can force anybody to tell somebody about God. But a grateful person, a beggar who's found that crust of bread, is going to want to go out and tell someone because they want to help other beggars to go and find that bread too. No program, no pastor can ever do that. Only the gratefulness in our hearts can determine how we spread the good news of God. Amen? And we're reminded to be thankful for the blessings that are overlooked or the gifts that are forgotten. Got the message about Kim this week. I thought it was going to be a COVID message. Things can change just like that. Until something happens to you, we don't remember that. So our gratefulness needs to come to be a powerful way we live every day, not just at Thanksgiving or just when things are going well. Gratefulness needs to exude from our hearts at all times, even when we don't feel grateful. I do not feel grateful or blessed by everything that's happened over the 18 months. But there are moments in which I have been blessed. And there are moments where I've been grateful. So, what better way to exercise giving thanks, Paul tells us in the very end, than with an attitude of gratitude? And if we start there, we can make sense of everything else that is happening in our own worlds and the world outside. And we can always remember to go there first before we think or speak or act and be a blessing to someone else and not a burden. Amen. So one of the great blessings that we have to be able to receive is the opportunity that we can gather together and we can break bread and be able to do these things so I encourage you at home to gather your items that you might be gathering together for communion this morning. Always remember there is communion here at the church that has been blessed, and you're welcome to grab those at any point. They're still out there. We keep replenishing them and getting them ready each time. And we encourage you to prepare your hearts this morning for communion. Join with me what's on the screen in front of you. Creator of the harvest, we lift our voices in praise. Creator of the table, in you we find our peace. In gratitude, we gather to share this meal. With thanksgiving, we gather to share our love for me. As the sun sets earlier and the days become cooler, they will. And the crops near harvest, we celebrate the plenitude of fruits available to us. We acknowledge the ways that we can use our gifts to care for our siblings in need. And we extend this table through the work of our hands and the missions of this church. As we celebrate this sacrament, may we remember the laborers in the field as we celebrate this Labor Day weekend. The harvesters of the wheat and the grapes, the transporters of their yields, those who transform wheat into bread and grapes into juice. Bless their hands and feet as they labor at farms and gardens and in trucks and warehouses. And we give thanks for the one who prepares the table here today. May the gifts of preparation and hospitality inspire us to extend hospitality to the strangers among us. And after laboring on the streets of Jerusalem, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God, Jesus clutched the bread in His hands He blessed the food, gave thanks, and heartfully expressed to his friends, this was the bread of life. As you eat this bread, remember me. After supper, Jesus grasped the cup filled with the gifts of the vine. In his blessing, he reminded them, whenever you drink this, remember me. Spirit of wisdom and of wonder, wind around these elements today. May they stir us from stagnated into actively loving God, our neighbors and ourselves. May our participation at this table transform us into the people of God that God is calling us to be. With gratitude, we gather at this table as we take a piece of bread Let us experience the love of God as seen in Jesus Christ. As we immerse the bread into the cup, let us remember the grace that pours from God. Let us pray together. Let us bless and consecrate these gifts of labor and love for us. Pour out your Holy Spirit in us, gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by His blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Holy, your Son Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, and your Holy Church, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. And everybody said together, both here and at home. Amen. As we receive this morning, we will be receiving the way that we have been here coming and receiving and going back to your sections and be able to do that at home, prepare your elements and get ready to be able to have those this morning as well and we encourage you to remember the gratitude the gratitude that God would do this for us and give us new life so let us come forward and receive, remembering his sacrifice this morning you may come forward to receive And go back to your seats and then we will take it all together. turns to their seats and everybody has their bread and their juice. The body of Christ broken given in love for each one of us. We take it in gratitude and we're thankful for the forgiveness offered to us. The body of Christ given for us. The blood of Christ sacrificed, poured out Given for his friends. May we remember to be grateful in all ways, every day, and in all things. May we be a blessing. May we be blessed to be a blessing to others in our lives and use our time wisely, faithfully. Let's stand and sing together.